Hey guys, hope everybody's doing good. It's a Thursday morning and sadly I did a podcast yesterday but then an alarm on my phone went off and I every night at 8.30 my like anti-doping alarm goes off which is a just a reminder to fill in whereabouts which anyone that doesn't know what whereabouts means, it basically means every day of my life I have to um, report the Ireland anti-doping where I am and basically one hour a day is allocated for them to come and test me. It doesn't mean that they'll test me every day obviously um, but actually they could if they wanted to I suppose you could say. Um, so yeah, it went off last night and, and then I lost the podcast and, um, I mean, I don't really know if it was a good one. I mean, I guess I never really know. So, um, and then things happen and move so quickly that today's podcast could be completely different, but look, that's just the way it goes. So, um, yeah, a lot's been going on. Um, I'm still in an Airbnb, but hopefully at the end of this week, I'm, set to move back into houses um that that means that like everyone that had a positive covid test is now either um leaving houses or has left and has served their two weeks three weeks whatever it is to you know essentially know that there's no risk of being contagious etc etc so that's pretty good um I, I, what I talked about on the podcast last night, which I'll, I'll talk about now, is um, I, I've really not trained that well since probably way back to, you know, race in London. And um, not well, figuratively speaking, if that's the right phrase to use. But basically, like, I've trained okay. I think for 11 weeks... I counted yesterday, 11 weeks. I, I don't know if it's it's been more than that, but basically for probably 11 to 12 weeks, I've averaged around 65 to 70 mile a week, which um, means I haven't trained badly and I'm not like upset or annoyed or anything like that. It, it's just that I haven't trained that well. Um, and I, I talked about, I, I love the, the idea of picturing, you know, this big whiteboard and a whiteboard that you would find in a, in a classroom or, you know, a, a lecture theater, et cetera, et cetera. And so on this big whiteboard, you know, I, I've done it before. This is obviously, I, I picture this from memory because I would go in to see Gary Longwell, my sports psychologist. And we would we would throw ideas up on this whiteboard to try to figure out, you know, what's been going well, what hasn't been going well, what could be improved, what might be holding me back. And I, I sort of call this whiteboard like the whiteboard of accountability. And so in the circumstances that we're talking about right now, no such whiteboard exists because in America I don't have a whiteboard. But that doesn't mean that I can't do this useful exercise to try to figure out what's been holding me back um, and I guess how I can basically start to get training back in a direction that I kind of wanted to go in. Like this is, this is now the Olympic year. 
Um, of course, I'm in Flagstaff, which is amazing. I'm up at altitude. I've taken myself to altitude. Um, I, I have to say, I think for the past six or eight weeks, my, my mindset has been at a place where it, it wants to crack on. So application to training, I think, has been very, very good. So if I were like, if you were sitting down with a sports psychologist or, or your coach or yourself, you know, one of the questions they might ask is basically, have you been trying? Like, are, are you trying to train well? And, and then you'd have to give an honest answer. You'd have to think to yourself, you know, am I trying? Could I try harder? You know, am I, am I complaining that I'm feeling tired in training, but I'm staying awake to 12 o'clock at night playing video games? You know, this is the kind of questions that you need to ask yourself. And, and of course, it's not just, are you staying awake late? It's, you know, if you're, a, if you're an adult and, you know, you've just had a, a newborn baby and you're wondering why, you know, you've had a bit of a rough patch in training, that might actually be pretty self-explanatory. Um, and it's not your fault. It, it's nobody's fault. It, it's, you know, you're on your whiteboard of accountability. You're going to put increased stress. You're going to put lack of sleep. You're going to put um, new routine. And, and that's absolutely fine. That, but it still, it still has to go up on the whiteboard of accountability. Um, and so for me, the kind of things that are going to go on there is probably... Um, Christmas is going to be new medication with the sports psychiatrist, which I've now stopped, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. Um, I'm going to put, you know, change of coaching set up. Um, again, it might not be the reason, but it could certainly contribute to why there's inconsistencies. Um, I would put on the whiteboard of accountability things like, you know, a complacency might have crept in. After London, um, I'm going to put up their hamstring injury, which to this day is still not completely figured out, not completely sorted. Um, so as you can see, there's 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 lots there's lots of things that can go up on this whiteboard that I can then take a step back and be like, okay, application to training, which is sleep, which is nutrition, which is lifestyle which is desire, which is motivation, which is the, a lot of the choices that I choose and, and a lot of the things that I can control is application to training. Um, things like flying into USA and, you know, three people in my household coming down with a positive test. There's not really a lot I can do to control that. Um, that said, if I was truly being responsible for my own actions, then I would, I could have booked a place by myself. You know, I, I could have asked the questions of my agent has. I could have said, you know, who's in the house? Have they been behaving responsibly? If the answer was no, they've been partying. You know, they've been, you know, they were out partying over New Year's Eve. They were, you know, up and down to Phoenix, a place where it's, you know, really, really bad for COVID. Um, I might have then made a decision not to go into that household. So these are all things that go on the whiteboard. It's probably 
I see them as facts. You know, when we talk about excuses, you could sit down with a psychologist and he could say, what's the problem? And you could say, okay, I've only ran 70 mile a week. I wish I was running 1995. My competition is probably running 110. Um, and he says, okay, let's have a look at this. And you take the situation with the COVID tests, you take Christmas, you take a hamstring injury, you take all these things. And I guess what, what the sports psychologist might say first is, Stephen, in this scenario, you didn't really do anything wrong, right? That's the first thing that the sports psychologist might say. He might say, you didn't really do anything wrong. You're not in trouble. I don't think it's your fault that the training hasn't went well, etc., etc. However, if you're me, and, and I think this is how every professional athlete should be, I really don't give a fuck why or who's at fault or who's to blame. I just need the fucking training to go in a better direction, right? And that's, that to me is a fact. I, I, I don't work in, oh, but I didn't do anything wrong. And so like nobody's to blame. So like it just happened. I, I don't fucking live there. I, I, I don't care about that. I don't care who could point fingers. I don't, I don't care who's at fault. I don't care what the blame is, blah, blah, blah. I just want the fucking training to start going in a better direction. So I take that step back. Um, I take a look at the big picture. I take a look and I think, all right, you know, how do we, how do we, all the stuff that's on that whiteboard, how do we get rid of all the stuff that's on that whiteboard? And how do we start getting the training going in a positive direction? It's that, it's that simple. And then you start eliminating the things that are on this whiteboard as best you can. If it's complacency, you fucking slap yourself in the face, you humble yourself and you move on. Or like I sometimes do is fly to Flagstaff, Arizona, where I'm surrounded by a lot of athletes that are, you know, either having achieved similar to results to what I'm achieving, or they've actually achieved way better results, in which case you very quickly get a little kick up the ass to say, all right, big shot, fucking get going again. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I do. So here we are trying to move forward. I, I'm, I don't think I've done anything wrong, but it doesn't mean that I'm not accepting that for two, three months training has been a little bit subpar. Um, is that okay? Probably. You know, if, I think if you look at the timing of the last block of training and you look at the fact that the Olympics are X months away, etc., etc., it's probably not a disaster that training hasn't gone really, really well. And actually, when I when I started the medication and, and I spoke to the sports psychiatrist, um, I I sort of targeted January and February as months of the year that if training didn't go super super well, that was actually okay. It, it wasn't it wasn't the end of the world. It, if if the tablets were going to affect any month's training, January sorry December and January were the months that I was willing to just be okay with that. Um, and so of course for two three weeks when I first started taking the tablets, you know I I, I was feeling nauseous after my warm ups. Um, my 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 training 
my training performances were, were definitely subpar. Um, you know, my, my tempo speed probably slowed by 10 to 15 seconds per mile. Um, I was really struggling in kilometer reps. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I made a choice. That, that was a choice by me. That was, I was willing to give something a try. Um, what I've, what I've then went on to find is that over a six week period of taking the tablets, um, uh, one of the markers that my aura ring, which I rave about because I absolutely love the aura ring, one of the markers that it gives me is a statistic called heart rate variability. And I've wore the aura ring for nearly a year now. And I have a very, I would say if I were to, if, if I could put a figure on the average heart rate variability for a year, you're probably looking at I think it would be about 70 because it ranges from like 65 to about 85. 85 is the day of London Marathon or the day of Larn Half Marathon when I've tapered, you know, hopefully I, I, I'm recovered and hopefully I'm, I'm really ready and raring to go. And 65 being the Monday morning or the Tuesday morning two days after doing a 20-mile long run with Mo Farah at 5.20 per mile at altitude. So I'm fucking tired. That's all I'm going to say. Body's pretty tired. You know, body's pretty beat up. Um, but there we are. You know, you, you, you kind of deal with it. Um, that's, that's the skill. I remember there was a period... And that's 65. I remember there was a period for four days and the scores were something like 58, 62, 55, 59, right? And I had to, I emailed Rob and told him, hey, you know, four days in a row here, this score has been pretty low. I trust the ring. I trust the data. I'm feeling pretty tired as well, you know. That's when, if you remember, I got the COVID test. I did some blood tests um, because I had, I had noticed that training wasn't great. I was feeling a bit tired. Um, and, and to me, it had been a long time since I'd had a blood test. You know, I, I, because COVID at the time and still is, was everywhere, I decided it's well worth getting this tested. Um, but nothing came back. Right, so... If you think about it, if I felt the need to email a coach after three or four days with the heart rate variability between 55 and 60, you could understand my concern after six weeks on the medication. In six weeks, my heart rate variability score hasn't been above 55. The average would be below 55. It's really, whether it's whether the tablets have really taken their toll on my body or they just seem to impact heart rate variability. Um, I also think they might impact my heart rate in general, as in heart rate might be a bit lower. Um, either way, if you remember back to conversations I had before starting the medication, if you remember... I talked about if the medication was going to affect my running. I didn't, well, this is really harsh. I didn't really care if it was going to make me happier, more at ease, 
things like this, it wasn't the time and place to be. And again, I'm sorry if this sounds harsh. It wasn't the time and place to be happier and more at ease. The next year and maybe the next four years was about being a better athlete. And look, I was never, I was never unhappy to the, the point of, you know, do we say, you know, suicide watch or, and I, I, I'm really sorry that I said that with like, I'm saying it because like I'm, I was never there, right? And so there's a bit of laughter in my voice because I was like, I, I had never got there. Now, when I first started taking the medication, I have to say, it kicked the absolute shit out of me. And that was probably the lowest I had felt in, you know, the last 10 years of my life. And I'm told when you start antidepressants and anyone that's taken them will understand that there's initial seven to 10 day period where any any anxiety, any stress, any depression, it can actually move to a place of being stronger. It's the first time I've ever had thoughts where I've been like, oh my God, am I depressed? Um, it's the first time I've ever had thoughts. And this is not me suggesting that I thought I was going to commit suicide or anything like this. I, I promise you I was not there. But I remember thinking, and, and maybe this is the start of a journey when people are thinking about suicide, you think to yourself, you know, would life be easier if I didn't have to cope with this on a daily basis? And now, believe me, in those first seven to 10 days, that was very much the medication getting into my system. It wasn't me. It wasn't Stephen Scullion. It wasn't where my true happiness levels were at. It was simply getting used to the medication. And it would be a bit like, you know, it's the snow's massive outside. It's absolutely freezing outside. It would be a bit like being stuck in a forest in the cold, Maybe not that extreme, but I wouldn't blame somebody to have a thought thinking, holy shit, you know, this would be a lot easier if I didn't have to cope with this. And so I'm lying in bed, feeling nauseous, you know, shivering, not feeling good on these tablets. And I, I did remember lying there thinking, like, it's the first time ever in my life that I've ever sort of had these kind of thoughts. Um, now, back to the point. Um, I did make the decision that, yes, I... I it, if I was being completely honest, I would say the tablets helped. Um, it, from a from a lifestyle perspective, you know, there was a whether it was placebo, whether it was real, whether it was. I'm not going to say I was really really happy. You know, I'm I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, for you know, the last six weeks I've just been the happiest person in the world. You know, because ha happiness is really complicated. Um, I, I think that's an important thing to address. Happiness is very very complicated. Um, but there was a consistency. Um, the the problem I was faced with is running. Running is probably the thing in my life that um, is the most consistent thing about creating happiness. But with the with the power of ability to create happiness, of course, with running it has the power to provoke unhappiness. Any any person in your life or anything. That, that, that has that sort of power over you to make you really, really happy. Of course, with that comes the power to make you really unhappy. Um, and so what I've noticed is that because training is suffering a little bit, I'm not suggesting it is only the tablets because, 
you know, if you if you look at the whiteboard of accountability, there's a lot of stuff goes up on that whiteboard. Um, there's a, a lot of different things up there that, you know, have maybe contributed to uh, training not being great. But in terms of March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, in terms of wearing an aura ring for 10 months and the longest streak of heart rate variability being under 60 was four days, and the fact that in five weeks it's barely been above 55, and the average would probably be about 50. So I've lost about 15 to 20 in terms of a score. And if you, if you take the upper end of that score being 85 on the day of Lauren Half Marathon, and the lower end being you know, 25 the day after London Marathon when I had had cocktails and I had just raced a marathon. That's a, that's a scale of 50, sorry, 60. Um, and so to lose 15 to 20, you're talking about losing 25 to 33% of your scale. And I'm, I'm sorry that I just, I'm not willing to do that. Um, absolutely not. Not when I wear a pair of blue light emitting glasses at nighttime to stop screen time and, and to hopefully help sleep by about 5 to 10%. I take a calm magnesium drink at about 9 p.m. every night to try to help sleep a little bit. And if you're going to go to lengths such as um, wearing compression tights, you know, if, if you're going to for marginal gains, if you're going to go to these extreme lengths, you cannot possibly take a tablet on a daily basis that, that may have contributed to 25 to 30% reduction in recovery. Now, heart rate variability isn't just about recovery. It's actually supposed to monitor stress, tiredness, energy levels, etc., etc. Um but I actually thought heart rate variability, if I, was, if I was making a prediction, I thought after five or six weeks of taking this medication, heart rate variability would have went up. Because the, the purpose in my mind of taking this medication was to help lower stress, was to help lower anxiety. And by lowering the likes of stress and anxiety and, and all these things and worry, it was actually supposed to improve heart rate variability. Not... Not that I was ever going to look at heart rate variability as, has this worked? Because you can never just look at one data point. But if we were to write up all the facts and I was to sit in a room with 10 professionals and I was to say, look, this is the facts for nine, 10 months, heart rate variability had barely dropped below 60. The previous five or six weeks, it hasn't been above 55. The only thing I can really see that has changed is the medication. What do you think? Um, I, I think they would all agree. So um, truth be told, last five or six days, I've been um, slowly reducing the medication. Hold on. And it brings me to today. So I guess I'll do a podcast in about a week's time. And, and you know, hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, in a week's time, that score, that heart rate variability score should have had a chance to slowly start coming back up. It took about a week. When I started taking the medication, it took about a week before it gets into your system. 
your body fights it for a while and then it gets into your system. I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to take seven days to slowly reduce the medication to a level that um, it basically doesn't come as a big surprise to my body that I've just stopped taking it. I've heard there's a lot of, there can be the, the same symptoms I experienced initially. You can get those same symptoms um, by weaning yourself off the medication. Um, and of course, that's not something I want. Now, the next thing that I'm going to add to my my whiteboard is the, the breathing issue I struggle with. Anyone that um, isn't familiar, I thought for 15 years of my life that I was asthmatic. After London, when my breathing was really bad, and I mean really, really bad, I don't just make things up. I'm not a bullshitter. I think you guys know that by now. Um, I went and seen an asthma specialist. They did a test. They realized I didn't have asthma, but they did suggest that I was breathing out my ass, um, wheezing and, and all this, and then coughing for ages after. Um, turns out I have... I've realized, I think in Britain, it's called E-I-L-O, ILO, exercise-induced larynx disorder or larynx something. Basically, it means when you exercise at a high intensity, um, your throat closes over. And it closes over because the vocal cords around the throat area swell. And by swelling, that creates a narrower gap in your throat. So essentially... It's like breathing through a straw. But can you imagine breathing through a straw while at altitude? So every time I go to altitude, it, it becomes clearer that this is a real fucking problem. Um, so I actually sent an email yesterday. I decided that I need to do something about this. It's got to the point where I might be doing a 35 to 40 minute run. And, and you guys are going to have real fucking sympathy for me here because I'm on a 35 to 40 minute run with, you know, maybe one or two other people. Um, I'm, I'm doing my best to breathe the way that the doctor told me. So you have to kind of go like, like with your, your exhale is with like your lips together, like how you would kind of whistle. And then your inhale, you kind of go. And I guess you're trying to breathe through your teeth. And, and I guess what he sort of said to me was, I'm not a fucking doctor here. Don't take my word as gospel. But um, I guess the idea was if you have this throat condition, as it starts to close, our, when we're exercising and you're like, <sighs> right, the first initial inhale is actually like a big gasp, like a <gasps> really quick, really aggressive, big gasp in. And supposedly that, that is what then causes, in my case, because I have this throat condition, the throat to like swell more. So what I need to do is either breathe through my nose, which slows everything down, which is really hard when you're at a high intensity, um, or by going, or by going, making like that noise on your inhale, it slows, it slows the breathing down ever so slightly. So instead of that big initial, you kind of like, it would be like when you go to kick a football, your initial, like initially when you go to kick it, that's when you're producing the most force. It would be like, and this would be impossible, it, it would be like trying to kick the ball, but applying less force initially 
And then as your foot starts to move forward, then thinking about applying more force, right? And so I have to kind of go slow down that initial inhale, and then, then I can breathe more thoroughly and get as much oxygen in as I need, right? I've been trying this. I've been practicing it. It's really difficult. Um, another one, once you start to panic a little bit, and so by I'm not a, I'm not really a panicky person, but if I'm in the middle of a tempo and my fucking throat closes over and I start wheezing and I can't breathe, I kind of start to panic a little bit. I panic because I'm like fuck's sake, I can't breathe. Then I panic because I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna slow. I'm at altitude and I can't fucking breathe. My throat hurts. I'm coughing. This sucks. That's what happens in a in a nutshell. Um. So, yeah, I'm kind of just getting pissed off that I can't even, like, do... I did an 80-minute run yesterday morning. I practiced the breathing the whole time. I tried to be really good. I tried to breathe heaps. And then I get to the end of the run, and I'm still coughing. My throat still hurts. And and so I emailed the doctor because the next step is to go and get... Like, they put a video camera down your throat. They 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 check how severe this issue is. Hold on. So essentially, they check how much your throat swells when you're exercising, um, and then there is a surgery. Uh, like I think it's like laser surgery, and I don't know what that does. I think it like burns away some of that swelling. Maybe I'm I'm really not sure. It doesn't sound great to be burning, and throat to me does not sound great. But look, <clears throat> I take my shit very seriously, and if it meant that I didn't have to feel like I was breathing through a straw. And then what tends to happen is like, probably 10 years ago, I used to go see a physio in London to get my diaphragm massaged and, and released, maybe twice a week. And that it's, it's that extreme. This has had such an impact on my running career that the areas that I'm getting treated, and I thought it was asthma, I thought I was get I thought my back was always tight, my upper back, my rib cage, my diaphragm, my psoas. I used to think it was asthma. I literally gave up racing on the track because I thought it was asthma and allergies and I couldn't understand why one night on the track I could run 8 minutes for 3k and feel really good and then 10 days later I would run 8:15 and have back pains and and breathing stitches and all this sort of bullshit. And I thought it was me. You know, there was a time and place when my dad pulled me over and really had a go at me, telling me I was smoking because I was wheezing so much. Anyway, I would, at this stage, I would probably love to get the surgery. I would love to see the impact that might have by being able to breathe. I've seen a few research papers. I've seen... Um, the results, other people struggling with this issue, you know, you get the surgery and all of a sudden you can breathe. And as you can imagine, the marathon, for most of the marathon, it isn't really an issue because you're not breathing that hard, which is why I've kind of found an event that I'm quite lucky that it works for me because my breathing rate in the marathon won't be that aggressive. Um, but I guess how they how they decide if like the surgery has helped you or not, you can essentially just do a VO2 max test pre and post. And then post-test, it's more your results. I would say it's, 
it's more your results after that kind of like half marathon area because that's when you really get to the point where you're breathing really aggressively. Um, and that's where you start to notice subtle changes. For me personally, it might mean that I'm driving one hour today to train at a lower elevation. And not only am I going to train at a lower elevation, I'm going to have to run at a lower intensity because of my breathing issue. If I run up in Flagstaff at 7,000 feet, and I today I wanted to do, there should be nothing stopping an athlete at 7,000 feet going and doing five miles pretty hard. But if I do that at 7,000 feet, around about mile three is when I'm probably going to start, my breathing's really going to start causing me problems. I'm going to start panicking. My throat's going to probably close over. Um, and then it just ruins the rest of the session. The quality is just diminished. Um, and me and me and Rob, when Rob was coaching me, we I used a lactometer when I was up at altitude, and the the results in the blood lactic were just outrageous. Like for the similar heart rate, most people who understand a threshold test, you get certain lactates for certain heart rates. Mine just never added up, like sea level to altitude. And I think the reason being. At altitude, I'm getting in so little oxygen because, A, it's altitude. That's really fucking obvious. But, B, if my throat is giving me issues, I end up with far less oxygen coming in, which creates this sort of, like, shitstorm of no oxygen. Runner goes into debt. Once you go into debt, lactate spikes, and, and your heart rate didn't even have time to get up to the kind of heart rate that should then, you know, cause that amount of lactate. And so there you go. Um, it also might explain why in the past some of my physiology tests have been a lot better than how they would be outdoor. And I don't know if other people have found similar, but I can, in the lab, I can be sitting at, like, you see, the lab's a controlled environment, the air quality, um, the temperature, etc., etc. But then outdoors, I can be running. You know, I did a lab test when I went back to Belfast on a Tuesday, and you know, at one, I think at one sixty-eight heart rate, let's say my lactate was about two. And then we do a we do a tempo two days later in Victoria Park, and my heart rate's one sixty-eight, and the lactate's like seven. It just doesn't fucking add up. It makes no sense. So, yeah, who knows? I, I would kind of, I'm really leaning towards I would, um, at this stage, really like to do the surgery. But they'll do this test first where they put the cameras down and they assess how bad my my throat is under pressure. And once they kind of decide that, yes, it's actually really bad. And if it's not, at least I get that, that confirmation. And at least I can then kind of let it go and, and not be kind of, but without getting it checked, I kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's hard to let it go. You're just assuming that it might be really bad or you're just unsure. Um, it's a bit like getting a COVID test and until it's negative, you're kind of like, oh my God, do I have COVID? Oh, I do feel tired. Um, but yeah, today's been a bit more like, yeah, I've just kind of gone through things, everything that's gone on. Um, I've, oh, I have two book recommendations. One is Out of Thin Air. It's about a athlete and journalist going to Ethiopia and 
you learn about the cultures in Ethiopia and, and how they run. And, and, you know, one thing I've really picked up is just a, some of their runs are just all about therapy. You know, basically, I love the Tyson Fury documentary. Tyson Fury will not take, um, like, antidepressant medication, but he does do a six-mile run every morning. No matter how many pints he's had, no matter what he's been up to, he gets that run done. It's kind of like punishment stroke therapy. And I really like that. I, I'm, I'm obviously going to stop the medication. I already have. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to journal. It doesn't mean I'm not going to look after my mental health as best I can. It doesn't mean that I might do two walk stroke runs a week like they do in Ethiopia where it's just about me. It's just it's just therapy. It's not it's not fitness. I might not even wear a watch. It's not it's not about running. It's just about me. And that's the first book. The second book is I've I've recommended this before, but it's Running Man by Charlie Engel. Um really, really good book. I, I listened to the Audible, which I loved. Um it's all about a, a man who runs 